0: I'm Charlie Melcher, founder and director of The Future of Storytelling. Delighted you could join me for the FOSS podcast. Our guest today, Sam Barlow, has a real knack for taking the gaming world by storm. Operating at the intersection of interactive fiction, cinema, and gaming, his creations are unique in their focus on narrative and the agency given to the player in creating their own path through the story. Since the beginning of his career, Sam has created games that blur the lines of traditional gaming genres. His first title, Isle, released in 1999, let the player make only one move. This sparked an entire genre of one-move games. Sam frequently cites being heavily influenced by writers and film directors such as Shakespeare, Alfred Hitchcock, David Lynch, and Paul Auster. These influences are readily apparent in his most recent trilogy of games that play much like interactive films. The first of the set, Her Story, was nominated for 37 awards, of which it won 13, including two BAFTAs, the Seamus McNally Grand Prize at the Independent Games Festival Awards, and the Mobile Game of the Year at South by Southwest. The second in the trilogy, telling lies won a webby for best user experience in 2020 and the third entitled immortality just debuted at the tribeca 2022 festival and is set for release later this summer it's such an honor to have this trailblazing pioneer of narrative gaming on our show please join me in welcoming sam to the Foss podcast Sam, it's so great to have you on the FOSS podcast. Welcome.
1: Thank you. It's great to be here.
0: So I know that you were part of this interactive fiction scene in the 1990s. Can you tell me a little bit
1: about what drew you to that and what that was all about? Um, I mean, that came around. So this was like this was I went to college the end of the 90s. And so this was my first real exposure to the Internet, right, going into the, the computer laboratories and uh, you know at that point the vast majority of the internet was academic or you know small interesting bits of nasa websites or whatever and uh, as someone that played a lot of games uh, you know first thing you start looking for uh, on the internet was was trying to find where do i get the games and at that time there was this incredible kind of uh, resurgence of interest in text adventures interactive fiction and it was this incredible community because half of it was was kind of motivated by nostalgia for things like the the games that Infocom made in their heyday. But because it was a lot of young, very savvy people, the other half was everybody there was really interested in taking these tools and repurposing them to try and make something uh, more interesting. So there was a lot of interest in sort of progressing the state of the art in what is an interactive story. And uh, there was a, a kind of annual competition, which was a sort of locus for the community to, you know, people would come out and compete and, you know, show off. And uh, I had a go at that and uh, put in a somewhat flawed, piece of work that I think at the last minute, like, my hard drive died, and I tried to rebuild the whole thing from scratch. And, and kind of after having done that, I was like, okay, the next thing I do has to be really, really good. Um, and that, that kind of led me to this piece called Isle, which was uh, an attempt to, to kind of break a lot of conventions and sort of play around as well with kind of what, what my thoughts were at that point with, like, what the state of art, the art was with the interactive fiction. And I O was a big hit, right? Yeah, and it was one of those things as well that, again, you, you'd put these things out into the internet, and uh, at that time, you know, other than a web counter, right, you weren't really sort of tracking these things and, and measuring their reach. And it was it was much later, in fact, I, I think it was a small part of my decision later to go independent after I had a, a job as a professional game designer was. Realizing that there were still people out there playing this thing and talking about it and, and getting excited about some of the things that I'll did with interactivity, and it was kind of like, oh, it's it's needed, it and kind of I had a you know a, a moment of like maybe I want to go back and tap into sort of some of that.
0: I mean, I've always seen you as somebody who's been looking to uh, push boundaries, reinvent forms, um, sort of take traditional forms whether it's something like literature or something like film and, and think about how do you bend that in light of the way people today want to be able to interact with their stories Is it been a difficult path to be trying to be um, somebody that, that is innovating or breaking the rules or, or trying not to do another
1: one like something that someone else did <laughs> When I was a job in game designer and working for bigger publishers, you know, there was definitely, I think, the vast majority of my frustration was the very slow pace with which things move and evolve in in the kind of commercial game space. So the publishers looking around, they're going, well, what things have sold well recently? So you're essentially pitching them, we're going to do a better version of this thing that already exists. And then you have to lock in your tech and you have to kind of, you know, build around that and then you spend three, four years building it and that leads to this world in which everything is moving very slowly. In movies and, and books you have genre, right, which enables you to sell something. So, you know, oh, I've written a book. What kind of book is it? It's a a mystery novel. Oh, it's a, a piece of science fiction. Okay, well, then we understand how to sell it. And that works slightly differently in games in that, that our genres are Specifically tied to mechanics and the way these things work. So, if you say to someone, "I'm making a first-person shooter," it gets very specific in terms of how the controls will work. How you know, you know, down to a kind of minutiae of, of how the work is executed. And really, that was something that I felt a lot when we worked. Uh, I worked on a couple of Silent Hill games, and these were some of the most kind of progressive. Uh, kind of boundary-pushing games at the time in terms of the stories they told. They were tapping into psychological horror. You had characters that were much more grounded and real than in most games. But the template was still, oh, all of these games should behave exactly like every other survival horror game. Therefore, you will be collecting medical kits. You will be finding keys and solving puzzles. And it it always felt bizarre to me because you'd look at, Uh, something like Silent Hill, which was modelled very much after things like Jacob's Ladder, after more kind of weird psychological fiction. And the games themselves still had to function essentially the same as Resident Evil and Alone in the Dark had done when they kind of broke the genre. So, you know, I made the decision in, I think it was around 2014, to go independent because I was kind of... I was seeing some of what was happening in the mobile space. The big shift was when we started being able to sell our games directly via the digital stores. Suddenly, you didn't need a publisher to bankroll you. You didn't need somebody that was gonna pay the fees and buy the engines for you. So there was this kind of interesting spark of, of things happening, the, the way that phones and mobile gaming changed the interfaces and the types of people that were being exposed to the games. It felt like a moment where I was like, okay, if I, if I jump off here, and try some things, maybe I get to move things along more quickly than uh, is possible normally.
0: So one part of it was speed and being able to do things more quickly. But I also feel like you're somebody who's always really considered himself a storyteller. And you are coming out of certain powerful traditions, literary traditions, even, of wanting to have know complicated characters and rich narratives and psychologically challenging stories and much different than you know a a shooter game of some sort or or something that's testing you know fast twitch muscles. Um, In a funny way, I don't even consider you a game designer, although you (laughs) that's what you consider yourself. And and certainly what you are building are games. To me, they're stories that have interactivity Uh almost more than they are that they're games. Not everybody in the gaming world is as focused on telling the kinds of stories that you are. So your games might be in some ways closer to you know, fiction references or or cinema references than maybe to traditional you know, video
1: games. Yeah, I mean, I think the the term game is obviously has a ton of connotations, and for me, a video game is the the loosest, most useful term to describe a piece of entertainment that takes place on a computer. Right, there, there is it's it's a machine that we're interacting with to get some entertainment. And, you know, and so much of this is this overlap between the technology, the commerce, you know, where can I sell this thing? What technology do I need to run it? And I think, you know, what's been good is over the last few years, you know, we are slowly expanding people's expectations. But certainly, yeah, my, all of the traditions that I'm interested in, you know, came from avant-garde traditions in literature that I've always been fascinated by, especially, you know, works that mess around with things structurally, whether that's like Burroughs and his cut-up techniques or some of the kind of more experimental novels by J.G. Ballard. And, you know, a lot of what I look at and see in those works, there is clearly an enhanced, you know, we could call it interactivity. There is There is something that the reader or audience brings to the work. And so I think a lot of what is interesting to me in storytelling, is in all these spaces where there is some kind of dialogue with the audience, and and so the reason I gravitate towards games or, or digital things, is because it gives us this ability to actually you know build on that and play with it, and I think you know specifically again this this kind of intersection of commerce and technology, if you look at the traditions of storytelling and you know you look back back way back through history where you have Oral traditions of storytelling, where uh, there there is a reason stories were told in song and, and set to rhyme. It was because it was easier for them to be remembered and spread. And you know, you'd have people telling stories around the campfire, in which there is a level of interactivity, there is a little bit of customization going on. And then you, you know, you have the huge moment in storytelling when you have the printing press, and then in the 20th century, when you start to have you know radio and television and cinema you suddenly have this incredible power to broadcast. So for me, what what is really interesting and and to the extent to which I feel like I'm doing something in those traditions is that we're finding ways to combine this incredible scale of of broadcast technology with creating something that, that has that interactivity and that human kind of back and forth.
0: Well, you're singing my song. That's exactly the kind of uh, storytelling that I'm hungry for. And it's the kind of work that we celebrate, as you know, at The Future of Storytelling. I guess one of the questions I always come back to with contemporary storytellers who are creating room for the audience, right, where there's a role to be played as opposed to a passive one is the question about how you manage that. How do you give room for the audience or the player to have a real role and still have there be some of your authorship or control over narrative? This seems to me one of the fundamental challenges of, for storytellers in the 21st century. Talk a little bit about how you wrestle with those
1: issues. Again, a lot of this came from, to some extent, frustrations when I was working as a commercial game designer, in that I was constantly being told to not overestimate the audience. The audience might be stupid. You have to make these things very explicit. You have to explain everything. And this was completely at odds with my understanding of the audience. The amount of storytelling they've been exposed to now through television and books and comics and commercials and just you know being on the internet and social media now They are so overeducated when it comes to story uh, and structure and the tropes of storytelling. You you look at linear writing, and because you have this audience that's so uh, experienced and knowledgeable, it's really hard to surprise them because they know everything, they've seen every twist. So, you know, when I set out to do her story, as like a, as someone who studied the detective story over the years. The detective character who's very much, uh, you know, a set of fun little personality quirks to the version of that form now, which is the kind of, uh, we call it the, the why-done-it, in which the, the kind of tropes and the puzzles and the twists of a detective story are much less important than these deep, deep psychological explorations of characters. So let
0: me ask you to do me a favor to tell me about Her Story because I realize we're referring to it in the podcast and people might not
1: know it. So Her Story was my first uh, big independent game and the game itself concerns a woman who's being interviewed by the police. And in the game, it starts out uh, with this very opaque, interestingly opaque proposition, which is a a 90s computer interface, uh, a police interview database and it's the the provocation is to just you know pull the player in by saying this is an exciting murder mystery and then throw a a computer interface at them and a database and what you realize as you play is um, you're pulling up videos pieces of video of this woman being interviewed over seven different days and the the kind of key loop of the game is you'll watch this woman talk and you can then discover more clips by typing in words. So she might refer to her husband, Simon. And so then you type Simon and you pull up more clips where she talks about her husband. And so uh, on one hand, you're kind of playing the role of the detective in that you're kind of noting interesting things that she said. You're looking at how she's speaking. You're really trying to extract the subtext out of what is being said. Um, And it it creates this interesting wrapper over essentially you know, something that is is to some extent hypertextual, but it's much kind of freer and, and more messy with the, the only constraint being the, the specific way in which this database works.
0: Tell us where one of your favorite clips is and we'll play it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, i two on the spot there. Um, you know, what famously is interesting about her story is, you know, if you're sat in a two-hour detective movie, you have to wait till the last five minutes to see the solution to the mystery. Um, In her story, in theory, you could guess what had happened, or you could infer very quickly some of the specifics of it. And then by searching for the right words, you could essentially pull up the ending. So it was very much empowering to the player. So to communicate that to people, what we, we came upon was to start the game with a word already written in the database, which if you wanted, and a lot of people did, you could delete it, or you could search it and see what came up. Um, and the word was murder. And this just happened, like we discovered this, it just happened to be a word that pulled up the very first thing she said from very early on, where she's being called into the police, and she says, you think this is murder? You think it's murder? I Clearly it's murder. What can I do to help? Um, All the way to the very last piece of video footage they record across these seven days, um, in which she's now being much more aggressive and adversarial towards the detectives and says you don't even have a murder weapon. I'd like to speak to a lawyer now. Please. You have no murder weapon. You have nothing. And all these stories we've been telling each other, just that stories and in presenting those two pieces to the audience it very quickly says to them look this is not your usual thing this is not a b c d e like this thing is going to jump all around a timeline like clips like that were what made people so excited by her story because you were kind of unlocking emotions and reactions in a way that that because you were kind of Literally uh, digging these things up yourself because you are extracting the emotion yourself. It would feel a lot more intense and kind of kind of hit a lot heavier.
0: So what I'm hearing you say is that the act of discovery, the the act of the audience having some agency to interact with the content and do it with their own free will and following their own curiosity creates a more powerful response
1: when they discover things and and get deep into the story. Is that what you would say? For me, the more I can have the audience use their imagination, the more real it's going to feel, right? The more effective that storytelling will be. And I think, you know, interactivity just brings so much to it because you're not just imagining in the way that you would be if you're sat in the dark watching a movie, you're actually physically using your body. It might be as simple as tapping some keys on a keyboard, but there is a thought process where your whole body is involved, and that already elevates things. but you know that level where the the kind of the realness, which I think is on a level like the the crudest measure we can have of whether a story affects us right you know a lot of the cliches of did you know did this thing make you cry uh, you know did the horror movie make you genuinely fear for your life. You know, a lot of this just comes back to how real did it feel? Uh, and that's, you know, how effectively we can get inside people's heads. So I think, yeah, that for me is a lot of of what is interesting about telling these stories in this way is, is really the more I can hand over to the, the audience's imagination, the more they can feel part of it, just the more effectively we can tell them a story.
0: You once told me that there were four sort of pillars of video games and you focus on some
1: Mm -hmm. of them and not others. Can you explain that concept to us? Yeah, so I think, and and this came again, you know, this was me trying to be analytical and yeah, I think the, the four pillars when I was looking at the video games that I loved and the things I was trying to build were challenge. Video games, of course, are about challenge. Can you get a high score? Can you beat the boss? You know, can you escape the dungeon? And so I think that element of challenge, which I think exists, you know, you can read a, a complicated novel, you can read a mystery novel, where the challenge can be quite literal, you know, you're being asked to solve a problem. Um, but I think there's that element of participation with some kind of goal, uh, and having something pushed back against you, which forces you to engage more, is, is definitely key to a video game and something that's interactive. Then you have expression, what is interesting about telling a story as a video game is it allows for expressivity, which is, again, it's it's like this key human driver, right? Everybody loves to be creative, to play, to be playful, to you know express themselves as a, an individual in some way. And you know that I think is something that has maybe set me on a slightly different path to a lot of game storytellers in that I think finding ways to allow the player to express themselves, in a way that's more fluid, that has more freedom, it genuinely matters who is sat in front of the game. Of the four pillars, the third that I care about and love uh, is exploration. You know, we're hunter-gatherers, so exploration is tied into us, you know, whether that's learning through mental exploration or it's physical exploration of the land as we're hunting for berries and animals to chop up or whatever, find shelter. You know, that is hardwired into who we are. And so a lot of what I've been doing with my games is to say, well, what does it mean to explore a story in the way you would a Metroid game? Um, and that means, you know, what? how do we move through a story? How can we move through a story faster? How can we move through a story in different ways? How can we, you know, encourage the player to build up a mental map of the story that they kind of gain ownership of as they progress? And uh, to finish up my, my top four, uh, so the fourth thing that I think is is a pillar of classical video games and probably is what a lot of people think of is simulation, right? These are things run on powerful computers and a lot of the kind of base tech of video games is built around simulation. The reason first-person shooters are so popular is it's very easy to simulate the path of a bullet from a gun. Um, You know, the the kind of physics and kinetics and these kind of things are very easy to simulate and that creates a lot of engaging simulation gameplay. I think for the longest time working in games, you know, as I was growing up, I would see these games and I would think that's the future, right? Virtual reality existing in a simulated reality, that's how we're going to tell stories in the future. But I realized there was like a trivial element to it. Like it it 's easy to engage people through that stuff, but I could never answer the question of how does this help the storytelling how How do I tell a better story? How does this character become more real? How do I feel more for this character through all this simulation? It always seemed like a you know a trapping or a distraction the extent to which you know you would see players just messing around, right? People love uh, in video games to to place a watermelon that you can smash into pieces so you can see them all kind of cascade around. And it's like, that's not telling the story. That's a distraction. Forsaking this idea of simulation, I think is also kind of an interesting route to take because we so often think of, you know, if we talk about interactive stories, we see these trees of of essentially simulated outcomes cause and effect. Um, And I think stepping back and rethinking that idea has been really kind of important to me.
0: Jonathan Gottschall, in his book, The Story Animal, talks about the future of storytelling being this merging of narrative forms, literature or film, with the interactivity and agency of games and being able to see those two things coexist and evolve into a new form and hearing you talk Sam about your work and having followed your career and your wonderful pieces i feel like you're one of these authors or auteurs who are actually very much pushing towards that new form that is some hybrid it's not it's not a novel it's not a game it's something else
1: does that align with the way you think about your work as soon as i was you know meaningfully writing you know, even when I was doing my art and painting, I was also figuring out how to do pixel art on the computer and what I had to program to do that. There was always that element of, of having technology there and thinking about the ways in which things were cooler and more engaging. But I think, yeah, it's always blown away when I kind of look back at, older pieces and realized that that everyone was trying to do this, they just didn't have the technology, right? So uh, one of my favorite movies is uh, The Double Life of Veronique by Kieslowski. And reading that, uh, he spent so long editing this movie, trying to wrestle it into shape. And he cut so many different versions, he pushed heavily for this idea of uh, having every single cinema show a different cut of the movie. And as we talk about the form and the function as well, like that movie in, in talking about what it is to be human and all of these kind of uh, threads that run through people's lives completely made sense for that approach. Uh, But at the time, again, the the business people said, it makes no financial sense. How will people know which version they're going to see? Like how, you know, and there have been some other examples of people trying that. Having these pieces of story be more malleable or more personalized, having them feel alive, even just on on a cheap level, making these things feel alive in a way that therefore my brain gets excited, right? Because it thinks this isn't just a passive experience. There's something going on here.
0: We are so early in this march right now towards the kinds of storytelling that is responsive, that is personalized, that allows there to be a two-way stream of exchange or or influence. And so just seeing you you working with this and, and pushing the medium, pushing the technologies uh obviously the the computer being what it is it allows for that kind of interactivity uh there's so many different ways that we're we're going through this dance between the creator and the player and trying to learn those lessons from different places and apply them to the craft of storytelling it makes total sense to me that you call yourself, you know, a game maker, a game designer, and that that's uh, what your studio is, is doing. But really what I think you're doing is creating the next, the next generation of, of literature, of, of a form of high-quality, interactive storytelling, like the, the
1: reinvention, if you will, of the novel for the 21st century. When I think of the difference between reading a book, it's like how personal that feels, right? It's it's how much my imagination is brought to bear on bringing that book to life. Uh, when I think of the theatre, there is that sense of it being alive, right? Even if you're going to see the same play as someone else saw two days ago, there's a liveliness to it, right? But yeah, I think it's finding, finding those ways that I think exist in in other forms that, that do feel more involved, and more organic and more human, and then trying to marry them with the, you know, the, this industrial scale, and the, the broadcast aspects. So you look at it, and you realize, like, for creators, whatever the medium, we've always been molding things to the audience. And the problem we always had with broadcast media is there's a single audience. So you have to make a decision. Are we going to play for the, you know, is this going to be a big mainstream movie, in which case we want to hit lowest common denominators? We want to, you know, get the reaction for the largest number of people. Is this more niche, right? So is it going to have a happy ending or a sad ending? (laughs) But the creator of that work might be quite happy with both endings, depending on who the story is being pitched to. So I think that, you know, just from the perspective of a creator, to be in a position using this technology, using machines to give us that flexibility to anticipate and then roll with the punches when you have your audience, um, you know, is, is clearly transformative.
0: Is there one thing that you're really excited about, Sam, in terms of technology? Are you thinking about AI and or uh, characters that are artificially created and, and aware? Like, what, what is the thing the kind of holy grail for you that you're most excited about or waiting to have
1: materialized to be a tool for you? I've always been interested, and I think this is where there is often friction with people's expectations and, again, the idea of a video game. But I've always been interested in the more invisible interfaces. So I did this pilot for uh, the company Echo, which was a a fun little thing that was a, a reboot of the movie War Games. And one of the things we did there was it was a, a somewhat traditional branching, bifurcating interactive story where things would happen differently and characters could act differently and it would loop around. Um, but rather than give you an explicit choose-your-adventure choice, uh, the game just noticed what you were looking at. Um, and we, had, we made that explicit because it was a webcam world where you would switch between different camera feeds. Um, so it was entirely hidden from the player, like what was going to lead this story in a different direction. Oh, we know that you're interested in this character. We know that you've been spying on this one and peeking closely here, so we're going to play against that, play with it. That was always super interesting to me. We did something similar with uh, Silent Hill Shattered Memories where a lot of the story was based on getting a read of the player from how they were playing. All these TV people, when I have meetings with them, they're terrified because they see how video games and social media and, you know, everything interactive is stealing the mindshare from their audience because these things, as as playful creatures that like to explore and play and, and have things play back with us, these things are naturally drawing them in. So they, they know that their television needs to change. They know that their entertainment needs to change. And, you know, I think that there will come a point where you will look back and it will be kind of interesting and quaint to look back and see these things that are very linear and controlled and static. Um, And I don't think we're fundamentally changing the rules of storytelling, but we are just kind of opening these things up to feel more alive.
0: If anything, we're making it more responsive, that's all. We're just making the stories, or that's the goal at least, to make stories that will be more resonant for each individual, more appealing, more... Profound, hopefully. Though I, I must say, we need to do this carefully because stories are already one of the most powerful tools in human existence. If we're going to supercharge their power, <laughs> we do need to be careful. We might um, use a moral compass
1: in how we yield this great power of ours. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's, again, I think there's, I mean, a lot of the debate in video games has been as our stories become richer and more complicated and because we do have this active role in them you see a lot of companies uh somewhat cowardly back away from engaging with the issues authentically so it's the the cliche is to say that uh we don't want politics in video games or if if a story is exploring capital P politics it's to say we'll see both sides right and and the player will get to explore both sides and I think just because these things are more fluid and alive I think at no point do you give up your role as a, as a storyteller you know you don't give up your responsibilities to tell something truthful.
0: Well I think that's a great place for us to end the conversation Sam thank you for taking so much time today with me and I look forward to participating in your stories and Really look forward to the
1: release of your newest immortality. We'll be in a bunch of places. We're going to be on uh, Steam for PCs and Macs. We will be on Xbox Game Pass uh, for Windows and Xbox. And we will also be on the new Netflix game service. So people with an iPhone or an Android phone will be able to uh, play the mobile version of this. So we're excited to you know get it in front of lots of eyeballs and have everyone kind of dig in.
0: How exciting! Well, I hope all of our listeners will find it in one of those platforms. And what's so exciting is my sense is it's a story for gamers and non-gamers to really enjoy. So, again, thank you and great speaking with you, and we'll look forward to more soon. Likewise. Big thank you to Sam Barlow for joining me on today's episode. Sam's newest game, Immortality is set to release later this summer. You can experience Sam's Games for yourself by using the links in this episode's description. My sincere thanks to you, our listeners. If you enjoyed the podcast and want more F.O.S.T. in your life, please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts and sign up for our free monthly newsletter at FOST.org future of storytelling podcast is produced by melcher media in collaboration with our talented production partner charts and leisure i hope we'll see you again soon for another deep dive into the world of storytelling until then please be safe stay strong and story on